what are a few of your favorite things about Christmas? I love the, the warmth of family time and sitting around the table for a hot meal. I love Christmas trees and lights. I love Christmas music, Christian and secular. Love it. I love it. One of my favorite uh, Christmas songs of all time is, is uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, Mariah Carey. Love the song. I love eggnog. Haven't had some yet, but I, I hope to. The, the nostalgia of Christmas, the memories of Christmas, cold weather at Christmas, lots and lots of snow at Christmas. I love the excitement of children, uh, of children seeing gifts under the tree and being so excited to open them. And so it's probably my favorite holiday. And around this time of year, our culture tends to think at least a little bit about the story of Jesus. Christ-centered carols are played on secular radio stations. People who haven't been to church in months show up again. People put up nativity scenes, sometimes ones of luminous plastic. This is part of our culture. And and to think, it's, it's part of our culture to think at least a little bit about the story of Jesus, about the incarnation. But in all the Christmas tradition and nostalgia and merriment, many people don't think about why Jesus came. They might think about the fact that Jesus came, but then give little thought to why Jesus came. Christmas can actually be very special, and you never think about why Jesus came. Now, we don't need Christmas to think about why Jesus came. As Christians, we should think about the why 365 days a year. However, Christmas does seem like a great opportunity to think about the why. So let's go deeper than our culture. Uh, We should think a lot about the why of the incarnation. And we shouldn't stop thinking about it when Christmas is over. So I'd like to tell you exactly why Jesus came. And there's much I won't say, but I hope that what I say helps you remember why Jesus came. And in the spirit of Christmas, I've written a little poem for you that I I do hope has a little bit of sparkle to it and helps you remember the why. And so the poem goes like this. Jesus the Christ is true God and true man and he came for you, t'was the Father's great plan. So take comfort, dear saints, and be of good cheer, for by grace you've been saved to love God and those near. Let's begin here. The Son of God was sent from his Father to take upon himself humanity to be your Christ. Scripture establishes that Jesus Christ is true God. John 1, 1 and 2 say of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John added in 1 John 5, 20, he is the true God and eternal life. Paul said in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then we have Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. He prayed the night before his crucifixion, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is true God. 
And as true God, Jesus made it very clear that his father had sent him. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. I came from the Father and have come into the world. So it's true, dear friends, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did he come? The Father sent his Son to take upon himself a true human body and soul in order to be your Christ. The mediator who reconciles you to God The Nicene Creed states the wonder of the incarnation of the Son of God, it says, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He came to take upon himself true humanity. As the Westminster Confession says, Jesus Christ is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. The Son of God came from the Father to take upon himself a human body and soul to be your Christ, to be your mediator. I love the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I love Christmas carols, but I I, I love that one. And there's an important line in that carol that goes like this. God and sinners reconciled. Now think about that. Sinners need to be reconciled to God by a mediator or else they perish in their sins. Apart from Christ, sinners are estranged from God. They are indeed enemies of God. Romans 5.10 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So apart from Christ, a person, a person's relationship with God is not one of peace, love, and intimacy. It's one of opposition, conflict, and hostility. Sinners need a mediator to reconcile them to God. And the mediator must be true man because God's justice cannot be satisfied unless a human atones for sin. And the mediator must be true God because only by the power of a divine nature could a human nature bear the burdens of of God's wrath. Please understand, God's son came to take upon himself humanity to reconcile you to God so that you are no longer God's enemy, but you are God's, you become God's adopted and beloved child. When you were alienated from God, God provided you a mediator to make you his own. Jesus the Christ is true God and true man, and he came for you was the Father's great plan. So take comfort, dear saints, and be of good cheer, for by grace you've been saved to love God and those near. It's not enough to know that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. We must know he is true and righteous man. Jesus Christ came to do the Father's will by fulfilling the law for you. God says in his word, cursed Be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So then, the mediator cannot be cursed himself. Right? Where would it get us to have a cursed mediator? 
Our mediator must abide by all things written in the law and do them so that he has righteousness to gift us. It was the Father's great plan to provide us a righteous mediator. The Son came to do the Father's will without fail in fulfillment of the eternal covenant of redemption. The Father's will required the Son's perfect righteousness under the law. Jesus Christ cannot save you from your sin, cannot save you from your misery if he is not true and righteous man. His righteousness is central to your salvation. Now, many people don't comprehend, they can't comprehend the righteousness of Christ as mediator and their sinfulness and need of a mediator because they don't comprehend the depth and the strictness of God's moral law. The law demands perfect righteousness, perfect obedience, perfect love. Any philosophy that says man is essentially good has no room for a mediator and is therefore a godless delusion that leads to hell. Why did Jesus come? He said in John 6, 38 and 39. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. How's Christ going to redeem anyone and raise them on the last day if he himself is a lawbreaker deserving God's judgment? Our comfort and hope is believing Jesus when he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He came to be your law keeper. He came to be your covenant keeper. He came to be your righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is gospel for you and me. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is true and righteous man. And the night before his crucifixion, the son prayed to the father, a bold prayer, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. In March of 2021, a sports legend died. Uh, his, his name was Dick Hoyt. Dick Hoyt's son, Rick, was born a spastic quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. Rick can't walk, talk, or care for himself. And when Rick was 15 years old, Dick, who wasn't a runner at the time, pushed him in a five-mile race, and they finished second to last. But Rick was so thrilled after the race, he told his father, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. Rick wasn't running. Rick wasn't running. His dad was running for him. For his son. And with his son, Dick Hoyt, completed 1,130 endurance events, including 257 triathlons, six of which were Ironman competitions where Dick swam 2.4 miles pulling Rick in a boat, rode bike 112 miles with Rick sitting in front, and pushed Rick for 26.22 miles. This illustrates why Jesus came. 
Jesus came to do for you what you could not do for yourself. He was righteous for you and gave you his righteousness as a gift through faith. Jesus the Christ is true God and true man, and he came for you. Twas the Father's great plan, so take comfort, dear saints, and be of good cheer. For by grace you've been saved to love God and those near. And it was the mediator who is true God and true and righteous man who crushed the head of the serpent for you. Jesus Christ came as a head crusher to destroy the works of the devil to give you hope. After Adam and Eve sinned, awful day, God preached the gospel in the garden. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Adam and Eve found hope in God's covenant promise of a head crusher. And through, throughout redemptive history, God's people were looking for God's promised head crusher to overcome the devil's carnage. The coming of the head crusher is God keeping his covenant promises. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, 14 and 18 says more. And these five profound verses capture the essence of your hope in the head crusher. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He came, he lived, he suffered, he died, he crushed the serpent's head. In doing so, the devil is conquered and you have hope. As your head crusher, as your propitiation, the conquering and reigning Christ is able to help you when you are being tempted. He's able to help. He really can. Do you know of any moving companies that hire toddlers? Toddlers can't carry a couch. That's not working. What good is a toddler on moving day? I mean, when the truck pulls up and it's go time and you're ready to move, you do not want to see toddlers crawl out of the truck. You want to see beefy men crawl out of the truck because beefy men can actually help you. Your hope in life and death is that Jesus Christ is your head crusher. His head crushing victory is what gives you confidence that he can actually help you. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and he is successful. You and I suffer relentless attacks from our enemies, our sinful flesh, the world, the devil, and the battle. Well, it can be disheartening. It can be very tiring and discouraging. So when your soul is downcast, 
remember he came and he crushed. He came and he crushed. He's your hope. He's your comfort. He's your strength. He's your victory. Do not lose heart. Jesus the Christ is true God and true man, and he came for you. T'was the Father's great plan. So take comfort, dear saints, and be of good cheer. For by grace you've been saved to love God and those near. The gospel is only good news to those who hear and believe it. Jesus came so that God's people would hear and believe the good news that you would hear and believe the good news, dear saints. Jesus Christ came to preach the law and gospel so you would know and believe the truth and be truly free. Early in his public ministry, Jesus taught in synagogues. He came to his hometown of Nazareth and headed to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he was going to teach. He stood up to read. The scroll of Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled it, and he found the the right place, and he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. Well, everyone's eyes were fixed on him, and he began to tell them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Awesome. And later in Luke 4, Jesus withdrew to a desolate place, and people were coming out to him. They didn't really want him to leave them. He had been healing their sick, but he needed to leave. Why? He told them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus began his preaching ministry in Galilee with these words, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent implies law and sinfulness. And believe in the gospel implies Christ's righteousness and justification through trust in Christ. God sent his son into the world to preach the law and gospel so that sinners would hear and repent and believe and be saved. The cross was moments away and Jesus met with Pilate and Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Listen to how Jesus responded. You say that I am a king, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then Jesus added an application. Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate heard this and asked a question of unbelief and skepticism, what is truth? What is truth? Now imagine for a moment a prisoner locked in his cell and there's a bed, a toilet, a sink, small little desk and windows, uh, one window with bars on it and the prison is, is on fire and there is smoke rolling through the, the cells still and quiet. The prisoner grips the bars at the window with his back towards the, the cell door 
Well, a guard comes to this cell and, and yells, hey man, here, here are the keys, and tosses them in. He doesn't budge. He remains clutching the bars and gazing out the window. He perishes in the fire. That's a picture of unbelief. That's a picture of an unbeliever hearing the gospel and responding, what is truth? Jesus Christ came to preach the law and gospel so you would know and truly receive the gospel by faith and be truly free. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus preached, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Knowing and believing the truth of the gospel is freedom for you. Freedom. Gospel truth is not simply something to believe intellectually. It is God's means to free you and to transform you. Now, many people love Christmas. Many people love the idea of a cute little baby inside of a manger. But many fail to understand why the baby was born. He needed to take him upon himself a human brain. He needed to assume human lungs. He needed to take upon himself human vocal cords to form ideas and to form thoughts to express God's divine truth to other humans. Jesus Christ came to preach the law and gospel so that you would know and believe the truth and be truly free in him. You would not know the truth of the law and gospel if God hadn't sent you his son who is the final word, if he didn't send you his son as the truth given for you. Scripture says, for freedom Christ has set us free. And then it says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So there's a connection between Christ's preaching We could say Christ's birth, Christ's preaching, our redemption, and our serving one another. Jesus the Christ is true God and true man. And he came for you. T'was the Father's great plan. So take comfort, dear saints, and be of good cheer. For by grace you've been saved to love God and those near. Christ came to give you life so that you may live to love God and love others. Jesus Christ came to give himself as the sacrifice for your sins and misery and to give you life abundantly. Paul really gave us a gift with one, I mean many statements, but one memorable statement that succinctly tells us why Jesus came, and it's from 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul said, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Countless people enjoy Christmas without ever really understanding that one little line. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul knew Jesus came into the world to save him because he humbly admitted of whom I am the foremost. Paul took the gospel personally. 
Why did they name the little infant Jesus? It's really simple. They named him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He, he is their salvation. Consider what Jesus said in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus didn't simply come to seek sinners and to try to save them. Jesus is is not a potential savior making salvation only possible for people. Jesus is an actual savior who actually saves his people. He came to save the lost. He came to save the people who were lost in sin. He will find and save every single one of them. Why did he come? The famed John 3, 16 and 17 Explain, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus explained why he came in Matthew 20, 28 and Mark 10, 45, when as the son of man, he said, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve, and part of his service was giving himself as a ransom for his chosen people, for his people's sins. A ransom is a price paid for someone's freedom, and our mind goes to slaves being bought and set free. To ransom is to pay the redemption price. His service was to buy sinners with himself and for himself. This means he came to give his life in the place of sinners in order for them to belong to him, and he takes each one for himself. Why did the father send his son By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3.25 that God put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. A propitiation is a sin-atoning sacrifice. It's a means of atonement, a means of expiating or removing sin, a means of satisfying God's wrath, and a means of reconciling sinners to God to enjoy intimate fellowship And love, God sent his son as the sin-atoning means by which sinners are reconciled to God to enjoy intimate and loving fellowship with God. The apostle John was right to remind believers in 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ came to give himself as a sacrifice for your sin in order to remove your sin from you. And not only that, he came to give you life abundantly. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came. Just hear him say why he came. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's John 10.10. Jesus came to give you life, and not just life, life abundantly, eternal life, brothers and sisters. We have several women in our church right now that are pregnant, which is an exciting thing. Uh, We rejoice with you, and God has given you grace in the gift of this little child in your womb, and the day is coming when you will give birth to this little person, this wild little life this human being. 
And because God gave us his son, we have a different kind of birth. God gave his only son as a sin-atoning sacrifice, an expiatory sacrifice, a propitiatory sacrifice to give you new birth and life in him. In himself, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about being born again. What does that mean? He spoke about being born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. He said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Brothers and sisters, you must be born again. The the Spirit must give you new life in Christ. You must come alive in Christ. The old you must die. The new you must come alive in Christ. That new birth happens by the Holy Spirit's power and will, as Scripture clearly tells us. The abundant life in Christ is sovereignly given to you. And we would be remiss or very careless if we didn't realize where this new birth inevitably leads. It leads to loving God and others the way that God defines in his law. Why did Jesus come? Listen to Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared. Pause. I believe that refers to God's grace in Christ. Christ appeared full of grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Why did he come? To make you alive in him, so that you would renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live a self-controlled, upright and godly life in this present age. Jesus came and sacrificed himself for you in order to make you holy, to help you truly love God and others, to help you repent of those terrible sins that always seem to be there, to help you trust in him, to help you live for him. Jesus the Christ is true God and true man. And he came For you, t'was the Father's great plan. So take comfort, dear saints, and be of good cheer. For by grace you've been saved to love God and those near. How sad it would be for us to hear the law and gospel and to respond with apathy and inactivity. How sad. Hearing the law and gospel is meant to lead you to repentance and faith good works even. And that's another reason Jesus came. Jesus came to call you and all sinners to repentance and faith. Hasn't he told us, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you have any question as to why Jesus came? Could it be more obvious? Jesus Christ came to call you and all sinners to repent of their sins and to trust in him for the forgiveness of sins and for life everlasting. He came to call you to turn from your 
sin and misery, to turn from that which is death for you, to turn from the lusts of the flesh, to turn from evil thoughts, passion, sexual immorality, pornography, all premarital promiscuity and sensuality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, anger, wrath, malice, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, obscene talk, idolatry, Sabbath-breaking, and every other thought, desire, or action contrary to the perfect and good law of God. Christ came to call you away from these soul-destroying vices and to call you to something better, to call you to the best, to call you to trust in Him to find salvation and life in him, to find strength in him, to put on then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, meekness, and all righteousness. What a shame it would be for us to celebrate Christmas without thinking about Jesus coming to call sinners to repent and believe in the gospel. For, for most of America, shopping, gifts, trees, lights, Santa Claus, elves, cookies, nativity scenes, and rank materialism will distract them from thinking about Jesus' call to repent of their sins and to trust and believe in the gospel. We must not be distracted from his glorious and gracious call. Many people, they insist that Christ be kept in Christmas. It's it's like they're dying on that hill. But then they give little thought to the fact that Jesus Christ came to call sinners to repent of their sins and to believe in the gospel and to believe in him as the crucified and risen mediator. Nativity scenes don't proclaim that truth. They're silent and dead Only the preaching of the law and gospel is clear enough to convict sinners of their sin, to help sinners understand their need of repentance, to call sinners to believe in the gospel of a crucified and risen Christ, and to give sinners Christ. Nativity scenes can't do that, and neither can Hallmark movies or Christmas cards or Christmas carols played on secular radio stations, which I think we should rejoice in. Won't give life. Dear friends, do you know why Jesus came? He came to make sure, make absolutely sure that you heard the law and gospel loud and clear through preaching so that you would repent of your wickedness and believe in the gospel for the forgiveness of your sins and everlasting life with God and that you would be about the business of loving God and others for the glory of Christ. The truth has come to you in preaching, teaching, shepherding, care. Christ is speaking clearly to you and me through his written word proclaimed. I'm preaching to myself. Proclaimed and applied. Are you responding then to him with repentance and faith? Or will you spurn the coming of God's son by ignoring God's law and gospel? It's very easy to look on a day like this and in a season like this, this Christmas season, it's very easy to look to the holidays and their festivities for comfort. 
right? We, we want comfort in family time. We want comfort in dinners and parties. We want comfort in presents under the tree. We want comfort in the nostalgia of Christmas. But the reality is those are insufficient comforts. And we have a deeper comfort, an unwavering comfort, an unbreakable comfort. See, after the Christmas festivities are over, if you're anything like me, you have some post-holiday blues, it's like every year, a little bit of depression after everything goes down. Why is that? The pleasures and the comforts of the holidays are fleeting. They are here and they are gone. Do you know what remains after Christmas and New Year's? The comfort of the gospel. The comfort of belonging to Christ. The comfort of the forgiveness of sins. The comfort of being loved by God forever, the comfort of the strength of Christ empowering us to deny ourselves in order to love God and others, in order to serve others, in order to find joy in serving others. As you repent of your sins and as you depend on the grace and spirit of Christ this Christmas, he induces you to imitate him, to love God and others like him, he himself and the work that he's doing in you is your deepest comfort, confidence, and cheer. In a few moments, we'll leave here. In a few hours, Christmas will be behind us yet again. But as Christmas and New Year's pass, along with the parties, festivities, time with family, and, and all the good things that we enjoy, most of the people around you and their pain will still be there. Will you love them? Will you love them? Will you love God so much that you seek to love them? Your comfort as you seek to love those who are near you is simply this. Jesus the Christ is true God and true man. And he came for you. T'was the Father's great plan. So take comfort, dear saints, and be of good cheer. For by grace you've been saved to love God and those near.